Hey, this is Paul, a.k.a. Nermix, from the Intellivisionaries podcast. When I get tired of playing the original 16-bit console, the Intellivision, I tune into the SNES podcast. It's the best Super Nintendo podcast that I've ever promoted. Otherwise known as Soul Blazer, wishing you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays. I was not planning upon recording today, uh, Christmas Eve, but I got inspired by a bunch of other Christmas-related podcasts as I was listening to at work the last couple of days. Uh, things like the Intellivisionary and Ferg 2600 Game by Game podcast, um, and the ColecoVision podcast, and they uh, they had such great Christmas themes to it. That I decided to bump up. Um, I plan recording for the Super NES podcast for this week by a couple of days and do something Christmas related. Um, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about some of my favorite uh, Super NES and other post uh, Game Crash console Christmas memories. Uh, a few games I picked up during Christmas that I have a lot of fond memories about. And I finish up the podcast with some discussion about some Super NES homebrew games. So, um, as I said earlier, um, my co-host Chad is not available this weekend because of family commitments and whatnot. So, I did want to get a podcast out, though, at least, to keep up the weekly pace. And I kind of figured that maybe it might be fun to talk about some of my uh, post-crash Christmas memories, uh, like for all of you out there. I talked about my pre-crash memories uh, with a submission to FERC for a 2600 Game by Game podcast recently. And I talked about my computer uh, Christmas memories with the Commodore 128D on uh, the new episode of the History of Personal Computing, which should be out later on tonight. But I've not talked to really too much about uh, the NES and beyond what I have remembered for Christmas memories. I talked about it a little bit with the Super NES with the intro episode of this, but I kind of figured maybe I would kick off this Christmas spirit and Christmas uh, themed episode uh, that I wanted to do for all of you out there by talking about some of that first. And I'll start off with the NES. Um, I was 1987. I was 11 years old, and that I, and I got my NES for Christmas of '87. And it wasn't exactly a planned gift. It wasn't something I was actually pestering my parents for on a regular basis to get from me. I saw the commercials a few times on TV that year. Commented to my parents once or twice that they looked good. I didn't really expect anything out of it. Um, uh, my parents had not 
they were never hostile gaming, but they were never exactly pro gaming either. It was a challenge to get either one to, to play any games with me over the years, whether they were uh, computer related or video game related or whatnot. So, um, and I still have my Commodore uh, 128D, which is basically an upgrade 64, and I'm still playing the Atari a little bit, the Atari 2600 a little bit today in 1987. So, even though I wanted the system, and I remember playing Super Mario Brothers and Punch Out and some other great games at the arcades, I don't think I was really expecting to get one. So Christmas came around that year, and it helps, of course, I was an only child, so there's only like one kid to buy the gifts for. I do feel bad for everybody out there who had brothers and sisters that they had to pull resources for and that kind of stuff. But then, of course, you also may made up for that with extra memories and that kind of stuff. So I, it's, just, I guess it's a fair trade. But <laughs> um, So I got Christmas that year, and in my house we had a tradition uh, uh, several traditions, really. Uh, we always had a live tree, always had it decked out uh, to the nine with stuff. We went we went full on the, with that tree, uh, with a star and with the decorations and icicles and garland. Um, we, we certainly, uh, no expense was spared trying to get that tree together for the holiday season. And um, they would allow me to open one small gift uh, Christmas Eve. And then we would go to church usually on Christmas morning, which was torture for a young kid, trying to sit there for uh, two hours or whatnot, just thinking about all those gifts waiting for you, uh, like in the tree, like home. And we were not allowed to open any gifts. Um, well, I was not allowed to open any gifts since the since, since I said it, I was just no child, until we got home and we had a chance to have something to eat for brunch. And then finally around noon, and then finally, finally around noon, we finally would open up gifts. And in later years, my parents shifted that to, to, to having us go to church for Christmas Eve instead, which was a lot better. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm opening up gifts that year, and uh, I usually hand out the gifts to the parents and whatnot, and kind of rotate the things out. Give one gift to mom, give one gift to dad, open up one myself, etc., etc. And I came across a small box that was marked, uh, open this one last. That was kind of a red flag, because I'm kind of like, Okay, that's unusual. Um, I don't really know why I'm being told to wait on this one. There must be something something related to. So that got me thinking. But I don't really remember thinking about the possibility of being an NES too much at that point, even, that, even then with that obvious clue dropped in my head. So it came as a real shock to get the, um, to get the NES. I don't remember the name of the system, Super Nintendo called it, but it was the one that had uh, the your basic pack-in. There was no light gun, it just came with uh, the controllers and Super Mario Brothers. And Super Mario Brothers is a great game. It's one of my all-time favorite packing games for a system. I still love playing that game to this day. Um, it was definitely great to have it. And the two, and, and the box that I was told to wait on opening turned out to be two NES games. My parents told me that there was such a rush on systems and games in the stores that year that they simply grabbed the, the two games that were available, period. And that was uh, Pinball and Top Gun. Uh, neither of those were great games, but they weren't bad games either. Pinball was a pretty decent um, early pinball game that had some fun gameplay. And Top Gun was a frustrating game, um, but it was but it was challenging, and it was certainly had some nice graphics and sound effects to it. So um, could have gotten a lot worse games. Um, but and shortly after that, it didn't really matter too much anymore because shortly after that, my mom decided. To at the video store that she managed to start renting and start renting NES games, I was soon to wash in any game that I wanted, basically. 
for those of you who may be late to the podcast or whatnot, I also have posted on Podomatic um, an intro episode where I talk about my history and experiences growing up with my mom, uh, who managed a video, a video store and rented also NES games and Super NES games along with the videotapes, and how awesome an experience that was. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly encourage you to check it out if you want to know more about that. So... Um, so that was a fun Christmas memory because I was totally floored getting that. The Super NES was a little bit different. Uh, I was 15 going on 16 in Christmas of 1991, and I was a huge Nintendo fanboy in those days. I totally loved the system. I loved the games. I had a subscription to Nintendo Power. I would ravishly read it from cover to cover, uh, usually within the first day or two that the magazine came in. And all through 1990, Nintendo was really hyping that this upcoming Super NES 16-bit generation system that was coming over to the States to compete with Genesis and Turbo Graphic. And I really wanted the system badly. But when I asked for it, um, when I kind of indicated some advanced interest to it, when my flying mom were talking about the video game store, she, she, she basically said that it would mean more to be if I bought the system myself. And at that age, I was getting some money coming in from summer work and doing allowance, allowance pay and that kind of stuff. So it was difficult, but I, in hindsight, I think it was a good lesson that they gave me about like saving up money for something. The Super NES was the first purchase I made, the first major purchase, I should say, with my own money. And it did mean a lot more to me because I did ship in all the, all the cash for it myself, almost all the cash for it myself. Um, I started saving up for that system in the summer of 1990, I think, and uh, by, by November of 91, over a year later, I, I had about 200 bucks saved off. And even today, 200 bucks is nothing to sneeze at. Back then, that was a huge amount of money, especially to a 15-year-old. So my parents chipped in the last 50 bucks um, for Christmas, early Christmas gift, and I gave them the money there to buy the system and a game because, like the NES, uh, stores were short in stock, and they really didn't know what they'd be able to get their hands on. So 250 was enough money to get the system, which retailed for $200 in most places, and a game. So I gave my, um, my dad's the one who actually did the shop before it, uh, I gave him a list of, I want to say six games that I wanted to, for the system, just basically kind of prioritized them in order, saying this is first choice, second choice, so on and so on. Uh, if there was enough money left over, from what I'd given them for a game, and I was counting upon there being enough money left over like for a game. I just didn't know what game I was gonna get. I knew the system came with packing, of course, I Super Mario World, but I still wanted something I was with it. So Christmas came that year, and uh, the gift was wrapped, and I found to my surprise that my dad had been able to get the system for a little bit cheaper at Child World, which was the chain of stores that we had uh, in New England. I lived in New Hampshire at the time. Uh, I'm not sure how widespread they were, but anyway, he was able to get the system on sale for 180, which was 70 bucks for a game. And that was enough money to get the first game on my list, which incredibly enough the store had in stock, Final Fantasy II, which we now know as Final Fantasy IV. I was a huge Final Fantasy fan. I, I still am a pretty big Final Fantasy fan to this day. I loved Final Fantasy for the NES. That and Dragon Warrior were my first experiences really to the whole JRPG world and whatnot. And um, the game was 70 bucks, Final Fantasy II, when it came out. RPGs were expensive in those days, as, as, as people on the podcasters uh, have commented on also in the past. So, 
I really loved having that game to go in my brand new system. And both games really showed off very, very well the strengths of the Super Nintendo. They both had amazing graphics, great soundtracks, really detailed, nice 3D effects and shading and whatnot. And one was a very fun platform game, still to this day my, my all-time favorite Mario game. And the other was uh, still, again to this day, my favorite game in this Final Fantasy series. I love six also, but four is just simply my, you know, it's just my favorite. It's one I have the most sentimental feelings for. So um, I really had a lot of fun uh, playing that game, uh, uh, well, playing both games. And then my birthday comes two months later. My birthday is February 26. Two months later is far enough time that, luckily for me, uh, both holidays were considered to be separate. So I usually got some pretty, pretty good loot for my birthdays also over the years. So, um,. My parents didn't really buy any systems for me after that point. Um, well, they really had only bought the Atari and the Commodore and the uh, NES for me. They did buy me a Game Boy Pocket and a Game Boy Color uh, in, uh, in the years to come, but those were handhelds. Um, usually, they, they would have buy me games, and they continued to buy me games all the way up, uh, all the way up to when I was in college. So I do appreciate that very much, uh, that I was always able to count upon a game or two um, from them. For, to boost my uh, game playing experiences. Everything else, systems I bought over the years have all been saved up for like, my own money, obviously, because um, it's heavy, it's heavy because the next system I bought, the PlayStation, was in 97. I was in college by that point, had a college job, so it wasn't too hard scraping up the money to be able to get my hands on that. So, um, but uh, thinking, thinking about it over the years, uh, like a lot of other people I've heard comment in the podcasts, it's pretty difficult to say exactly what games I got, uh, like the holiday uh, for Christmas. They all kind of blend together. There's certain games I remember very strongly getting for Christmas. I remember getting Legend of Zelda. Um, no, sorry, scratch that. <laughs> uh, Legend of Zelda 2 I remember getting for Christmas. Legend of Zelda was a birthday gift. Uh, Zelda 2 I remember getting for Christmas. Super Mario Brothers 2 I remember getting for Christmas. Um, and the, the, uh, you know, the, there were a couple other games here and there. Three of my favorite Super NES games I do clearly remember getting for Christmas over the years. Um, I figured I'd talk about I'd talk about like this podcast with you all. The first one would be one of my all-time favorite games, and that was ActRaiser, uh, or pronounced ActRaiser. I'm not really quite sure what the correct pronunciation of it is. Uh, it was, this was a game by Enix. This is a very unique game. It is a combination. Uh, action platform game and a simulation game. Two genres I never thought could be mixed together so well. But this game is awesome in just so many ways. Um, for those of you out there who uh, have not played it, um, the Actorizer has a plot where you are the um, a servant of a god. And the god had a fierce battle with an evil uh, demon uh, and had to go into a healing sleep for many, for, for like many, many years. And in his absence, the demon basically destroyed the world and killed all the people and everything else. So, so you have been awakened by the god um, to try to regain his strength, and he gains his strength back by having people believe in him. Um, so you have flex, so flex. You control both this character and also an angel, uh, this little tiny, cute little chubby angel who can shoot arrows uh, as your main characters to play in this game. So for the simulation parts, you control the angel, and for the action parts, you control uh, the character. Um, and uh, 
The game consists of six stages, and you are sent to each area to repopulate the area, basically, and to make it safe for people to live again in those areas. And that means clearing out the monster lairs and the demons and other evil forces that are occupying the area. And each stage, each stage starts off with an action stage, and then you play the simulation part of it, and then you play an action stage again. And the first action stage is kind of you getting the foothold on the land to allow, to allow the town to start again. And then you do the simulation part, and then you do the second action part uh, to defeat the demon, um, uh, the, the, the main head honcho of the area, and to make it safe so you can move on to the next area. And, and during the simulation part, you are not, it's not as simmy as a pure simulation game. You're actually kept quite busy during the simulation parts because there are, like I alluded to, there are layers of demons uh, scattered around the, the area from place to place. They get more uh, popular uh, in number and stronger in monster as, as the game goes on. And you're controlling this angel and one way to seal the layers is by killing all the monsters that are in the lair. So you're also flying this angel around from point to point to point on the map, shooting down these monsters like their arrows, trying to trying to keep them from attacking your people, attacking your buildings, and that kind of stuff. Uh, the simulation part comes in because you're trying to direct the town. You can specify with you specify where you want the town to build, and you want them to um, and you want them to expand a large area because the more houses they have, the more people that, that live there, and the, uh, like the stronger you get because the more people believe in your god. So another way to another way to clear out monster lairs is by having people um, directing the people of the town to build toward the monster lair, and they can seal it that way. And some lairs you have to do it that way because like tons and tons of monsters like in that lair. So you're only so really with the angel you're just trying to keep things at bay until the town can grow enough. And you can do things like um, cast fire on an area, uh, use lightning, um, it's just like other kinds of miracles, uh, miracles to be able to help the town to grow into an area and help your town uh, grow and prosper. And um, it's really like quite fun. Um, there's items you can get in the action stage you can use or in the simulation part to make it easier and vice versa. But the action parts are where you have to actually go down and fight the monsters. Your spirit uh, occupies an old statue of a warrior that's in the stage, um, and you turn to you see at the start of each uh, of each action stage, your spirit takes over a statue of a uh, of a warrior with a two-handed bastard sword, and you fight through his action platform area basically to 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 get to the end and defeat a demon at the end, and. There's so many things to like about this game. Uh, like I said before, there's a unique blend of simulation and action parts that flow together so well. It makes the game so varied and fun. Um, the music is awesome. It is a great, great soundtrack. Uh, it's by the same guy who composed the Streets of Rage uh, series for the Genesis. There's a totally awesome soundtrack, one of my favorites of all time. Uh, Nermix, Paul, uh, knew how much I liked the soundtrack because I mentioned it to him, and that's why he used part of it uh, for the intro music. Uh, that he composed for me, like with the podcast. The graphics are gorgeous. They're detailed. They're bright, colorful. They're really uh, in depth. the The challenge level is just about right. There's so many things I like about the game. And then as a bonus, at the end of the game, when you've actually finished all six stages and defeat and, and, and defeat the final the final demon, you can also do a professional mode where you get to go through all the action stages of the game by itself, just twelve areas, and hack and slash your way like those areas for like an extra challenge. So, uh, Act Razor is really a unique game. I highly encourage anybody who's not played this game to, to check it out. 
I was most happy to get it for Christmas. I didn't really know anything about it, but I've seen the previews in Nintendo Power and whatnot. Thought it, thought it really looked a lot of fun because I've always been a huge fan of simulation games. And it is a complete blast to play and still holds up very, very well today. However, by all means, ignore the sequel. They did a terrible job of Act with Actraiser 2. I cannot count how many ways that game is awful. So, another game I remember getting for Christmas, that's a favorite of mine, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time. And this is a very fun hack and slash game. Like I alluded to in my last podcast episode with Chad and Willie Knights of the Round, uh, as, much as, I, as much as I like Knights of the Round, TMNT 4 is probably my all-time favorite hack and slash game. And part of it is because I am a Turtles fan. I grew up watching the cartoon and having some of the toys and whatnot. But I think the game has a lot to offer somebody if you're not a Turtles fan. Because the whole gameplay, it's by Konami, who really made excellent NES and Super NES games. The whole gameplay is just completely well-balanced and fun even if you're not really a Turtles fan. This is a port of an arcade game that Konami made, their second uh, Turtles arcade game. And it's called 4 because there were three TMT games for the NES. So they're trying to differentiate this game, the Super Nintendo, from like most games. And Konami did an excellent job with the port for this system. They actually improved the game in some areas. Um, there are certain certain bosses were changed or added for some stages, for example, that, that, that really make the game flow better, I think. The only one drawback is that, of course, you can only play two players in the NES, uh, sorry, the Super NES version, whereas the arcade version, you had four people. So uh, it's a really fun romp uh, through the stages, great music, detailed graphics, a uh, good deal of humor to it, some voices uh, like for the game. Quite challenging in some areas. It really is. It really is like a very, very fun game, and a, um, still one I play on a regular basis today, uh, like either by myself or show with a friend. Really spend a lot of time and money on this game in the arcades. No one wanted it for Christmas. It was a great Christmas gift. The third game I'm going to talk about that I clearly remember getting for Super NES for Christmas, and which has a special place in my heart, is I admit not a favorite game of. Uh, for a lot of people out there. It's a very uh, niche game. I think, however, for me, one of the reasons I like it so much is because I have such nostalgic feeling for it. And that game is Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which is Final Fantasy in name only. The only slight connection it has to the other Final Fantasy games is the idea of the four crystals to save the world um, aspect. But uh, this was a game that Square heavily promoted in magazines and comics back in the day, and I really wanted the game because I was, like I said earlier, I was a big Final Fantasy game. And it wasn't until I got the game that I realized how simplistic that it is. And it's a very simple, relatively easy, quick game to go through. It's really baby's first RPG, I think kind of the best way that I can describe it. It's not very challenging, it's not very difficult, it's very linear to go from point A to point B. I've heard people describe uh, Super Mario RPG uh, for the Super NES, which is also a great game, by the way, um, as also being a baby RPG. But I think that game is pretty difficult in some areas with some of the fights and whatnot. I would really consider Final Fantasy Mystic Quest as being kind of like the quintessential first RPG for a kid to play. Uh, one of the only really, really redeeming things that the game has going for it is the music. The like, soundtrack is awesome. It's really a lot of great music done by Square's people, and it really stands out as being a very memorable soundtrack. 
And that's really the best thing it has going for it. I, I fully admit that even though I like the game a lot, and I still play it every now and then, uh, a main thing I have going for it is sentimental value for me because I have a strong feeling of, uh, a strong feeling of nostalgia with me playing the game uh, back when I was a teenager. So, um, but the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the game real quick is that I think this game is an excellent game for somebody to give their kid for a first time RPG. I know a lot of people out there listening to this are fellow podcasters or parents or whatnot and have young kids. And I think Mystic Quest is a great game to sit them down with uh, at a tender young age and just kind of get their feet wet with an RPG. It's cute. It, it plays well, it's easy to handle, it's not that challenging, it has great music, and it's a pretty fun romp for a young kid, I can imagine. And, uh, and the game really can be um, a very positive uh, introduction to them if they don't have anything to base it upon. I think one of the reasons that people were so disappointed by the game when it came out is because we had the excellent Final Fantasy 4 and 6, otherwise known as 2 and 3 of the Super NES, uh, to compare it to. But for a young kid who hasn't played any other RPGs, it really is a great one to get them started out with. And I really would encourage anybody out there who's trying to get a kid into an RPG to, to give this game a look. Uh, it's really a, a good kid-friendly RPG for them, I think. So if you do decide to try this out, I'd be very interested in hearing uh, how you made out with it and what your kid thought about the game. So uh, I kind of figured that in closing, I was going to talk a little bit about the homebrew scene for the Super NES. This is not something I really know anything about. Uh, Willie, when I was talking to him on the podcast uh, that we recorded together la uh, last weekend, was telling me about it a little bit. I knew there were homebrews for the Super NES, but I don't, don't know anything about the scene. I always figured homebrews were a lot more common and, and, and prevalent for the pre-crash systems because those systems are, are a lot easier to program for and those games are smaller in, um, in, uh, smaller in size and whatnot. And I don't really know too much about the homebrew scene for the Super NES, so I really was educating me a little bit on that uh, on that topic, and I wanted to pass on some of that knowledge and, and some, some some of those links to you. And I'm going to try to learn, check out some of these games or games maybe uh, you know maybe tomorrow during like during Christmas, check out some of these games and see what I think about them, and maybe talk about them with Chad in a future podcast. And if anybody out there is programming for a Super NES game, I would love to have you on the podcast. Um, do, do an interview with you or have you on the podcast to talk about your game or whatnot. So uh, one site that has some Super NES uh, games is a site called um, NES World. It can be found at www.nesworld.com. Just go to the Super NES uh, tab on this. They have a pretty good selection of games on here that are final or in a demo state or unfinished. Just going over the, uh, the list real quick here, there's some Pretty interesting sounding games. There's Christmas games on here. Um, I see at least two, three Christmas games on here, as a matter of fact, um, that are available to download in ROM form. Um, and uh, it looks like a pretty active list. So I was really impressed that Wooey was more in the know of this than I was, that's for sure. So, And a, uh, there's also a homebrew game um, that, is the, that is Super NES clone of a Flappy Bird game. Flappy Bird games appear to be the rage all these days, and almost every classic system's had a Flappy Bird game made for it. Well, the Super NES is no exception. Uh, the one with the Super NES is called Creepy Bird, and this is also available in a downloadable form, um, and it also has an uh, online version available, available that you can play uh, in a Flash form. 
And this site is, and and and, and well, one site I, I found that has a game on it is called uh, PKO Interactive at pkointeractive.com. And they, uh, the, the, the clone's called Creepy Bird, and I played it a little bit. It seems like a pretty decent clone of a Flappy Bird game, so uh, check it out. So, um, in closing, um, we, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this, uh, for, for allowing me to indulge my own Christmas memories with the Super NES and some other systems. And um, like I said, we're not going to be recording this weekend, which is why I wanted to get this podcast out now to take advantage of Christmas. But the following weekend, um, for January 3rd, Chad and I will be together again doing a podcast. And we're going to be recording one of his all, and we're going to be talking about one of his all-time favorite games, uh, Earth Defense Force. This is a game I'm not familiar with. I've not played this game. There are a lot of hidden gems and fun games in the system that even I have not played. And one of the reasons I want to do this podcast, which is with myself, to the rich library of Super NES games out there. But since Chad was nice enough to indulge me with doing So Blazer for the first podcast, which is a favorite game of mine, I wanted to return the favor and do one of his favorite games. So for the Super NES podcast episode number three, we're going to be covering Earth Defense Force. So if you have any feedback, comments, um, or suggestions about playing the game or whatnot, feel free to feel, feel, feel free to submit them. You can email me directly at the Super NES Podcast. Uh, um, um, sorry, uh, you can email me directly at Yahoo at the Super NES Podcast. Uh, at yahoo.com and I also have a Facebook page and some other um, there's also a group page and a community page up there now that Chad has made, a, has made, a, has made up for us you can find those under the Super NES podcast and um, also a final reminder we're having a contest running right now until January 10th for high scores for the Super NES version of Knights of the Round as I said as I mentioned in the last podcast submit to either me or Chad either through email or online at Facebook uh, your high score of the game, and we're going to be awarding the winner uh, your choice of a Steam game from a list I have, and also a secret bonus Super NES prize. Again, something that you'll be able to pick from. So I highly encourage anybody out there to play the game and send your pictures of your high score. Uh, you can do either real, real cart or emulation. Uh, please stick to the Super NES version because there are some slight differences between the scoring of the Super NES and the arcade version. So um, I encourage everybody to get out there and submit uh, your pictures on, uh, of your high scores for this contest. And hopefully we're going to be doing contests in the future as well. And as a final thought, if anybody out there would like to come on the podcast um, to talk about one of their favorite games, either, either to do a live podcast or chat myself over Skype or to be interviewed uh, to have your uh, podcast memory or, or uh, submission including the podcast, please contact one of us, again, by one of the means I, t- I, I mentioned earlier. I definitely want to have as many guest hosts on the show as possible. Chad's also very agreeable to the idea. Um, well, I'm pretty sure he is. I've talked about it before in the past. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we definitely want to get uh, a guest host on here. So if you have a favorite game uh, that you want to talk about uh, for the system, uh, please let us know. Um, I will give slight preference toward uh, toward the less popular games because I'm trying to give some light toward some of the more hidden gems or unknown games for the system. And um, But having said that, if you want to talk about a, a very popular, fa- famous game, uh, by all means, I, I definitely want to have you on the podcast still. So uh, thank you again for listening to this. Uh, like I said, we, we will return to regular episodes next week. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. And I, I hope everybody out there... Um, 
has uh, has some has some gaming mem has some gaming memories and make some gaming memories by playing either Super NES or other consoles during this Christmas holiday. So best wishes to everybody out there, and you all take care.